Hello, and thank you for joining us today on Workforce Institute Radio. I'm Joyce Maroney, Executive Director of the Workforce Institute at Kronos, and today we're going to be talking about what it takes to achieve a four-day work week while maintaining or even improving productivity. Now, that may sound like it's too good to be true, but our guests today not only made it come true in their organization, they founded a global movement to bring this idea to life around the world. They are widely recognized as one of the most significant success story for the four-day week. Andrew Barnes, founder of Perpetual Guardian in New Zealand, and his partner Charlotte Lockhart, CEO of Four Day Week Global, are spreading the message that giving employees back their time is a productivity-enhancing strategy. Today, we'll hear how they did this at Perpetual Guardian and why they believe these concepts can work anywhere. Andrew and Charlotte, thanks so much for joining me today. Well, thanks for having us. Excellent. Uh, so let's move on to the first question. Um, Andrew, you've had a long and interesting leadership career. What led you to Perpetual Guardian and specifically what led you to the four-day week experiment in 2018? I, I actually bought Perpetual Guardian because I saw an article in, in a UK newspaper that there was a trust company in New Zealand in a little bit of difficulty. And so I actually flew halfway around the world to buy the business. And that was back in, in 2012. And we did then an awful lot of reconstructing of the company over the period that, that led up to the in, in inauguration of the four-day week trial. Now, that itself was also a consequence of a, a, a long-distance journey that I was on a plane flying to London. And I read an article in The Economist magazine that said that the Brits were only productive for two and a half hours a day. And in fact, the Canadians for one and a half hours a day. And I looked at that and thought, is that happening in my company? And actually, how would I know what the true productivity in my business was? So when I got off the plane in London, I literally called up my head of HR and said, look, I think I want to try something and see if we could get better productivity if we gave our staff a day off a week. And so the four-day week experiment was born. Super. Um, and I would love to get the, uh, I'm sure the link to that Economist article that uh, started it all would be interesting to our listeners as well. But I want to move on to, you, you mentioned this as, an experiment, that you took an experimental approach. And in your book, um, which we will also um, share a link with our listeners, you note that you started with an eight-week trial. So can you talk a bit about how you settled on the length and scope of that trial? You know, since we've done the four-day week, we've become a lot more scientific about how we go about things. But at the time, it, it wasn't particularly. I came back and I thought, well, this would be interesting. How long a period do we really need to see whether it works? And I decided that initially six weeks would do it. And, and then we decided that maybe having two full months would be better. So we shifted to eight weeks. And then we decided that we needed a month of pre-planning. So broadly, 
the experimental period was a three-month period, a month for the team to work out what they were going to do differently and then two months to trial it. What I then did, uh, and I, I have no idea to this day why I did it, I decided that actually it would be interesting if we got some scientific research. And we reached out to a couple of the universities here and said, well, could you monitor the trial and what's happening as far as our people were concerned. And part of that, I think, was I wanted to be able to go to my board and say, look, it's not just me saying this works. These are the outcomes. And, and really, the whole thing was driven largely by curiosity. I was curious about productivity. I was curious about what was happening in my company. And at that stage, I really wasn't looking any further than almost a little scientific experiment of working out, could I get better productivity if we changed the way we worked? That, that's it in a nutshell. So um, I, I, I would love to understand what you learned from that initial um, trial and how that guided your rollout of your, you know, your subsequent rollout to your organization. And, and if you could also talk a little bit about sort of what did the employees themselves think pre and post this trial? Well, I'll start with that, really, because that was where we did make a mistake in that we announced the trial before we'd properly established the benchmark data for the mood of the company. We had some engagement scores from the previous year. But what we hadn't done was done a complete suite of, of engagement variables prior to announcing the trial. But what we saw was that engagement, empowerment, enrichment scores went up 40% uh, pre to post trial. We found stress levels dropped uh, 15%. And we found that more people said that they were better able to do their work working four days rather than five. So on every single score, we got positive outcomes you know, right away uh, across the organization. What we also found, and this was a lesson that, that dropped out of that pre-planning month, we found that actually the best solutions came out of the staff themselves, that this was not a top-down planning exercise where we decided as a company what would be the best way for the staff to deliver uh, on, these, uh, on the productivity goals. What we actually found is the staff came up with the ideas themselves so that we found not just process improvements that were staff initiated, but we really found that the main changes were about staff behavior. And so what you find is that people, when they come to the office, you know, they do waste quite a lot of time on non-productive activity, which they don't necessarily recognize is non-productive. You know, I go to that meeting that goes on for an hour and I shouldn't have been there. It didn't really achieve anything. That of itself isn't generating anything. And so what we found is that when we gave the challenge to the staff, they became very much tighter upon how they deployed their time, but critically, 
how they impacted their colleagues' time. Because the way that we have structured this is that the goals for the four-day week are, are structured on a team basis, but you opt in individually. So the team as a whole can lose its four-day week if it doesn't achieve the productivity outcomes that they've agreed. And so what that does is that puts quite a lot of responsibility on an individual to work effectively themselves, but also not to waste their colleagues' their colleagues' time, and that's a key part of delivering better productivity. So they'll they'll work uh, they'll work harder for the the teammates than they would for the man, if you will. Well, yeah, I mean, look, in the dim and distant days, I used to be in the British military, and and I always remember, you know. People saying, look, nobody goes over the top for a flag or a mission statement, but they go over the top for the person on their left and the person on their right. And that's what this is about. This is about that team cohesion. It's about recognizing that each staff member gets an incredibly valuable gift, more time, more time to do things that they want to do. And equally, that's a gift that their colleagues get. You know, we have a, 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 one of our managers down in, in Dunedin who takes a couple of afternoons off a week and he spends time, he walks home, then he spends time with his granddaughter who's brought around by his daughter and they do little chores around the house. Then his daughter comes back and they have tea together twice a week. Um, and so he's getting this fabulous time. And when he tells the story, he cries. Now, that's the point. Are you going to take that thing away from him? And the answer is no, you're not. Because equally, you're going to have uh, an incredible experience yourself because you were given more time. That's what makes this so powerful, and that's what makes it work. Yeah, we have found something similar at Kronos in that several years ago, we did away with fixed vacation time. Um, you know, we call it um, my time at Kronos, but essentially what it means is there isn't an arbitrary limit on how much time you can take off in a given year. And, you know, one of the key metrics several years later is our engagement, which was already high, is even higher, but a lot of people worried that, oh my God, if there's no arbitrary limit, well, people will just not be there all the time, but they still are responsible for their goals. And the truth is people weren't taking the full complement of their limited time off in the past. And two, three years later, they are still taking on average fewer than three incremental days off the baseline of where we started, which still leaves them under what the actual allocation was or limit was those several years ago when it started. So they're still not taking more vacation time than they would have been entitled to, if you will, when we had a fixed entitlement. But I think the other thing is once people have enjoyed that freedom and they do take meeting their goals seriously, uh, they don't want to give that up. They want to be viewed as a successful pe person on the team who's going to stay and continue to contribute because they don't want somebody, you know, counting the minutes when they leave to go and coach the kids 
soccer game or have the afternoon in the garden with their granddaughter. Um, and they will, they will work very hard to keep that, you know, what they see as a privilege. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there are two things that drop from that. It's the fact that amazingly, you can actually trust your employees. Now, one of the big, <laughs> one of the big changes, and I think this is relevant to the world in which we find ourselves today, is that a lot of executives, when you challenge them as to why they're not introducing a four-day week, was this perception that actually, well, how could we trust our employees? How can we be sure that if we do this, our productivity is not going to stay the same? And of course, uh, the evidence suggests that in fact, productivity actually goes up. So we're actually being forced today to actually start to trust staff. And that's a key part of the four day week. And I think, I mean, back to your point, Joyce, Joyce about um, the staff, it's not being leadership driven. Leaders still need to lead, though, and, and, you, and you, we need to make sure that they understand that. You Introducing something that requires a high level of trust in a business where staff do not at all trust their leadership uh, is always a, 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 a difficult thing. So our, our company, Andrew, leads our company with a very light hand, but also also very engaged and um, you know, one of the first things that he did when we bought the company was uh, go around all of the branches and meet all of the staff and understand what their issues were. We had staff members who'd said that, you know, one of them said, I've been with this company for 17 years. I've never met a CEO or um, an owner. And so to a certain extent, the opportunity for the staff to lead this project needs to also be followed by engagement from the leadership as to what they're really trying to achieve and let and the leadership really truly listen. Yeah, and I think the, the other thing that, that is very critical here is that you have to lead by example. So we insist that our senior leadership team do the four-day week. They are the only people in the organization who have to do the four-day week. Everybody else can opt in because of the model that we have. But that is there to demonstrate that it, that doing this is not an impediment to getting to the C-suite. It's not an impediment to promotion. It's not an impediment to pay rises. And in fact, our leaders are themselves monitored in terms of how well they're getting their teams onto a four-day week. That's that's one of the goals that we've set them. So this means that it, it doesn't it isn't you don't get any stigma attached in our organization to working a four-day week. Yeah. It's the norm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think anywhere where these um, different kind of flexibility models work if if it is seen as an impediment to advancement, and also, you know, people frequently look at things like, a, you know, a mommy track in a law firm or that, you know, that kind of thing. It's it's can be stigmatized. I think, and I I think I'm leveraging a somewhat old example. Just it was the first one that that came to mind, but I really like that. Um, that element of your your plan because that is absolutely true people look to the leaders and someone told me early in my career as a leader you know you you just picked up 
a megaphone and you've got to understand that whatever you is going to be heard more broadly and more loudly because you're a leader. Even if you think it's just a casual comment, it can come across in a very different way to the people around you. So I I think that's a really um, smart aspect of what you're doing. I did want to ask you, um, you started this experiment, I think, with the idea that it could work, that it could work with trust, that it could work as long as you could measure results. But what have been some of the most surprising results to you that you didn't necessarily anticipate at the beginning? I I think a couple of things. Obviously, we were surprised that more people said they could do their work better in four days rather than five. I mean, I felt that what we would find that there was some pressure on people and that, and in fact, you know, some, some people did actually find that being accountable for productivity, being accountable, and we don't measure this religiously. In fact, we don't measure it all now because we can see that the top line numbers are all going in the right direction and more productivity, more profitability, more revenue, better um, net promoter scores, uh, better customer feedback. But we were quite surprised at that. I think that was the one thing that, that really did drop out Uh, from this. I think the next thing was that the reaction that we got. Uh, We didn't expect that this would have gone to become a global story. After all, we were a comparatively small on the global stage company uh, introducing a four-day week. And the fact that the stories now run in 84 countries worldwide, obviously I've written a book. We have companies engaging with us uh, all the time. We used to travel the world. Yeah, <laughs> Remember that in the days when you could fly. Um, so that, that really came as a shock. And that only think was the point at which we actually, Charles and I actually sat down and said, actually, you know, this is bigger than just the company. This is actually a fundamental desire by people, wherever they are in the world, transcending borders and cultures, that they actually are saying that the way we work today isn't fit for purpose. And yeah. I keep getting you know, more and more uh, indications of that you know, wherever we travel because of the reception that the four-day week gets. And I think, you know, around the world, people are confused as to what... Everyone understands that the future of work cannot be what we have now um, and that what we're doing isn't isn't fit for purpose, but people are confused about what that new look will be. And so as we've gone out and we've sort of talked to people, and, 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 and also, I mean, a point that we haven't really discussed, we're actually not talking about taking Fridays off. We're not talking about the long weekend. We're not actually even talking about a whole day off. We're actually talking about reducing the amount of hours that we work to find an, a, an amount of time that is the, the, the individual employees and the team 
pace that is the most productive because recognizing that the amount of hours that we are working now isn't giving us that productivity. So you might be working 80, 70, 60 hours a week. None of that time, so not all of that time is productive and it's about understanding how you untap that, um, that, the correct amount of time. Well, we did research um, a couple of years ago through the Workforce Institute. We did global research, and we found that three quarters of the respondents, and they were in eight to ten countries, including Australia and New Zealand, but three quarters of the respondents felt they could do their jobs in four days or less. So why do you think the five-day week continues to hang on because clearly you know your experience tells you our research tells tells us that a lot of people feel like there's a lot of wasted time at work and and especially as stress and pressure has has grown for people in you know in recent decades um you know they 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 need frankly they need more time when they're not you know tied to the the yoke if you will so but why do you think it it hangs in there when it appears to have outlived its purpose well, I think habit more than anything else. When the 40-hour um, work week was introduced, generally dad went to work, mum stayed at home. So mum's doing all of the household stuff and the kids and the volunteering and all that stuff that you, that, that organised our lives. And when dad came home, he there was he didn't have email, he didn't have a cell phone, he didn't. So dad was home, and so the family time was very much a part of the life and the work time ha held its place. And I have this phrase that I use and what I try and, and use as much as possible. And I said, to tell people, we have to remember that we borrow people from their lives. And when you actually understand that, that work is part of our lives, not our entire lives. But once we, you know, once we got to the point where where more women were in the workforce and we and we're all striving for this new um, career balance and all that sort of thing and gender balance with the amount of that someone can achieve in their careers, we all ended up overworking. Then you introduce your cell phones and your emails and and all that sort of stuff, and and suddenly we're overworking and we develop this habit of having too much work in our lives. And so this conversation is about how we roll that back again. And I think the, the, the challenge too is that, you know, I'm a creature of the creation of the City of London. Um, and I, when I started my career, I was working 12, 13, 14 hour days. That was how you got to the top. And a lot of our senior executives globally have learned the lesson through their careers that working longer equates to working harder and it's quite a shift for them to understand that actually working less might be about working smarter and that is the problem that you face and I find that you know we found that in our own company our own board was very resistant to this because they could not comprehend that you could get better productivity by changing the work week. And they, you know, a comment that we quite often get is, well, if you can get that sort of productivity out of four days, why wouldn't you get even more productivity by doing it over five? It's just failing to understand human nature when you, when you, those sort of comments. Well, you, you folks talk to, you talk to a lot of businesses, government institutions, academic institutions, and you've, you've already mentioned a couple of 
obstacles for organizations who might even be willing to contemplate this. One is they're not sure that they can trust employees. You've mentioned habit. You've mentioned, you know, this is the way that especially people in senior leadership um, uh, positions may have progress their own careers. So so when you hear these kinds of obstacles and, and pushback, how do you respond to that? Like what what have you found to be the openings, if you will, um, to, to maybe opening a window and, and showing people that there is a different way that doesn't sacrifice the, the productivity and results that you also need to achieve? Well, and I think one of the brilliant, wonderful things we have, of course, is there are just so many companies doing it now. Um, I mean, you know, we often just say to people, look, I'm sorry, but the results are in. Working less does give you a more productive business. But, I mean, you think about it, CEOs and and boards, you know, well, CEOs particularly are responsible to the board for shareholder return. And generally what they try and do to create that gap is to cut people. and, 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 And that's a tried and true uh, way of doing stuff, but actually, and we're seeing that now, of course, as um, companies are uh, struggling under this new pandemic. First thing we've got is job layoffs, and it's just easy. It's the thing that they're used to doing. This requires leadership to challenge themselves to find a better way of doing it, and and to learn themselves rather than just resort to old habits. And so that, I think, is part of it, is you need a leadership that is prepared to, to innovate, is prepared to challenge the norm, is prepared to back themselves and, and present themselves forward to their boards and to their shareholders and say, sorry, shareholders, but you know what, what about more productivity do you not want? It's a little bit about the nobody gets fired for buying IBM concept. It's a lot easier to run with the herd. Um, and come up with the same outcome. This is something that requires you as a leader to actually get out of the way. And that is not something that leaders of any hue uh, come to easily. They're in the role precisely because they're able to find solutions. That doesn't work in this case. You have to let the staff find the solutions, and that in turn then gives you the productivity improvement. So I I have a question about a a particular subset of your staff, and and that is the folks who are hourly paid employees. Um, And, you know, we know that across maybe not exactly in your your organization, but across the world, the hourly paid employees, the very people who have to show up on the front lines and and do the work to get the rest of us through this pandemic are paid hourly, whether they're healthcare workers or logistics or call center people, or there's a lot of jobs that, that not only get paid hourly, but are eligible for overtime over a certain threshold. So I know you have some um, hourly paid employees in your company. How do you define overtime when people are already working fewer hours than the law would require to trigger overtime compensation? Well, a lot of this is about how we've structured our own contracts. So in essence, what we are doing is we're saying it doesn't matter what your 
period of employment is, whether you're working five days, four days, three days, two days, one day, or indeed you're working on an hourly basis. What we're looking to do is to pay you for that hour, pay you for the time as if you would be working normally. But we are expecting that you can deliver that productivity in 80% of the time. So we call it the 180-100 rule, 100% pay, 80% time, provided we get 100% productivity. Now that formula applies regardless, because that can apply to somebody in any form of contract. We're basically saying that the base level of productivity has been agreed. We hope that you will do that in 80% of the time. And then if you have to work outside those parameters, then we would pay overtime as normally. It, it doesn't change the fundamental. It's just that we are paying you for 100%, 100 hours, if you will, and you're only having to work 80 um, in order to do that thing. Now, that's the formula because this is the ridiculous thing. I, I received something yesterday from an HR uh, consultants in Belgium who said, well, you know, we won't work for us because our consultants are paid hourly. No, they're not. They're paid for what they produce. The fact is you measure it by the hour because you're lazy. Why is it if two consultants could produce, produce the same piece of work, one takes half an hour, one takes an hour, why would you pay the one who took half an hour less than the one who took an hour? You don't. It's the outcome that generates the value, not the time you take to do it. And I don't pay people to warm a seat in my office. So that's the essence of this. This is a discussion about the recognition and reward for productivity, not time. So as we, as we touched upon earlier um, in this conversation, this is a big my, I mean, what you're saying makes complete sense and at the same time is a huge mind shift for many, 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 many cultures, organizational cultures for which that, you know, time on and faith time are still big indicators of that's that's the hard worker. Um, when you started this at Perpetual Guardian, you had the um, the leeway, if you will, as the owner of the business. It was your idea. You wanted to try it. You wanted to do the experiment. But I'm going to guess in a lot of organizations, it's people lower down in the organization who are trying to make a case to their superiors and, and to get the proposal approved at a much higher level in the organization. So what's your advice to people who, who would like to get this movement started in their own, own organization? Like, how do you start? And, and most importantly, how do you make that business case to your superiors? Well, well I think the first thing is you buy my book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Because it's, that's got a lot of this in. Look, uh, I had the same problem. I had a, an independent board. I had a co-investor, private capital investor. So, I mean, I slightly finessed it because I announced it on national television um, and then <laughs> told them. So that they not, none of them wanted to be the person who said no. Look, the point about this is the trial. This is why Charlotte and I, wherever we travel in the world, 
hammer on about doing a trial. A trial is a safe space. It's an opportunity for the company to give something a go without enshrining it into the way in which the company moves forward. It's to find out what works and what doesn't. And, and currently, you know, the world we're in at the moment is a great period of time you could even start experimenting about this. But the idea is that you try it. Now, if at the end of the day it fails, you will still have got a more engaged, empowered, enthused workforce because they will recognize that you tried to do something and okay, it didn't work. But if it works, you then have the evidence that you can take to shareholders and to the board. Now, the way I look at this is I am a businessman first and foremost. I didn't approach this with a work-life balance view. I approached it from um, an inquiry as to how I could measure productivity in my business and whether that productivity was actually as good as it should have been. Now, that's the conversation that business understands. That's why Charlotte and I phrase this in the language primarily of business. Why wouldn't you want better productivity? And if you think about this, if I came to you and said, look, uh, your productivity will go up between 20 and 40 percent. Your engagement scores will go up between 20 and 40 percent. Um, you will get great publicity. You will attract the best talent because people want to work for these sort of companies. If I said that to you and I said I have a process that can deliver that, you would say, yeah, OK, I, I need to give you a hearing. It's only when I add the phrase by asking your staff to work long, shorter hours that you think I'm a nutcase. So <laughs> the concept about this is why wouldn't you try this? Because your biggest risk in business today is your biggest competitor does this first. And then you are back of the queue for talent. And their productivity will improve. There is a massive business risk. That's why I would say to companies, you know, to, to all individuals, talk in the language of productivity and outcomes. Don't talk in the language of work-life balance. Yeah. And, you know, we've we've touched on what's going on with um, COVID a couple of times um, earlier in this conversation as well. So I am interested in your take on how you think this will shape the conversation moving forward. The people who can work from home and do their jobs remotely in many cases are also um, there. They've got their children at home. Um, I know he, in the U.S., in many, many states right now, uh, schools are shut down and the parents are trying to keep up with remote lessons for their children while also trying to do their jobs, while sharing a space with, you know, partners and potentially parents as well as those children, um, you know, where they don't have a nice private, you know, work uh, setup that they that they would at their normal workplace. So the reality is right now that the average worker working from home is probably um, got their their time, their uh, mind share split in you know ten different directions all day long. Not to mention the huge stress and fear that most of us 
our feeling about, you know, where does this go and when does this end and what the hell just happened to my 401k? So I, I, I will stop my speech and I'm just wondering from, from both of you, how you think this perhaps shapes the dialogue differently moving forward. Well, I, and I think one of the things that we that came out of doing the four-day week in our organisation was a greater sense of structure with your working day. And so our people have a greater sense of how to create structure for themselves. And so you, you bring that back to this rather noisy home that we're all living in. Um, and it's about how you put those disciplines and structures in place. And the people who are doing it successfully are, tr are managing that. But it's quite interesting because, of course, one of our biggest problems with the gender balance is, of course, women needing to, needing to leave the workforce to go home and do stuff with the children. Now the men are needing to do it too. And so it gives us all a greater appreciation of the difficulties that we each have in our, in our own personal lives and how we all have to make um, sacrifices and and workarounds to accommodate. Um, I can't do that meeting at that particular time because it's better if I do it while my child's asleep. And so therefore we're actually all creating new workarounds around how we do that. The workforce has a chance to really prove to their employers that they can make this work. And that the flexibility that they need to do this should be should be something that we can empower them to to put in place, so that they can then be empowered to do their jobs. Yeah, look, I, I think that the whole question of of time management is really at the heart of the improvement in productivity that you find, and so that. Um, you know, you find if you're in an open plan office, statistically, you would be disturbed once every 11 minutes. It would take you then 22 minutes to get back to full productivity. Probably a bit like having children around. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. the point. <laughs> it's, it's actually no different. The workplace is just as disruptive. It's just disruptive in a different way. So Charlotte's point is actually, you know, to, to the point of this, and that is that it is using the skills that mean that you better manage your time. I need an hour's quiet time. I need half an hour's quiet time. I need, you know, to, so you're going to have to look after the kids for that hour while I concentrate. I'll do it while, you, you know, you, you have to have your concentration time. Now, that concentrated hour is probably the equivalent of three hours of normal work in any work environment. And that's where this starts to work. It's not actually saying you actually have to be completely and utterly disciplined all the way through an eight hour day. What it's actually saying is our level of productivity is far less than that. And if you do some adjustments, the proportion of it that becomes more productive increases. That's what's delivering the outcome because it comes back to the, the point that Charlotte made right at the beginning. You know, there are lots of impacts on our working life caused because we cannot have a clear separation between the home duties, the family duties, and the work duties. And therefore, these co-mingle throughout the working day. They are co-mingling currently. It's just in a different way. And it's how you handle that that makes the difference. Now, we are lucky that our team has had two years of applying these tests 
And therefore, for us, this step into working, you know, working from home is actually not that bad at all. Uh, and in fact, some of our business units have had the best months they've ever had at the moment from the best weeks they've ever had in terms of business. So, so Charlotte, you've launched a global organization to educate people about and promote the four-day week. Can you talk a little bit about that? I, I think you've also got a newly formed global academic board. And so talk a little bit about the organization that you've formed to educate and promote the four-day week and, and also about how can people get more information about this or get involved in the movement if they would like to do so. So, um, so what we just what we found as we went around the world is there are a number of very key academics uh, that are interested in this, and so we put together a global academic board with researchers from um, from Henley Business School, Oxford, uh, Harvard, uh, and and here at Auckland University of Technology, um, and we're looking to put put in a, a couple of other players uh, into this. And the idea with the Global Academic Board is for them to have some oversight in terms of research that is being done uh, in this space and uh, in terms of what further research needs to be aggregated uh, for it so that we can move it forward um, and create a, the structure so the information is gathered in one place and developed uh, we often get young academics uh, connecting in with us saying, look, I'm really interested in the four-day week and I'd like to, to study this for my master's or my PhD. And so having the Global Academic Board provides some um, oversight of what they're studying, but also uh, send them on a pathway where they're studying something that is new or adds to the body of knowledge rather than just, you know, redoing information that has already been gathered. So you know, it's creating that. So um, we're very excited. We'll be launching that uh, very shortly. We're just letting everybody settle down into new pan pandemic um, spaces. Um, and so, and then uh, other than that, if people are interested, we have a website, which is four day week, the number four, four day week.com. Um, and there's all sorts of information up there. There's information about our trial, there's our research that's there, there's research from a number of different other, um, other uh, uh, academics and, and the like. There's, you know, where you can buy the book. There's all sorts of stuff. The website's not great. So anybody who wants to email me in and saying your website's dreadful, I know that. Um, we're in the process of also developing that. So it's grown very organically and it grown well out of the use that it was originally set up for. So um, we, we hope to launch a new website uh, later in the year that will get, uh, create a lot more structure around uh, how that information flows. And we will put um, links to the book where you can find the book, um, where you can find the four-day week um, website, et cetera, um, in the post associated with this podcast. So people and have that resource as well. And with Amazon and the likes having shut down delivery of books and things, you can you can still obviously download it digitally or on audio. Exactly, exactly. Um, 
so Andrew and Charlotte, um, thanks so much. Thanks for what you have done as pioneers um, for really helping the the workers of the world, um, you know, work in a more humane and productive and and engaged way. Um, for you who have listened um, to the podcast today, thank you so much for your time and attention. Um, please join the conversation at workforceinstitute.org. And uh, please, everybody, stay well. These are unprecedented and, and challenging times. And uh, I, I, might, I give you my well wishes that we all will make this uh, through to the other side. So thanks so much and uh, signing off from the Workforce Institute.